With lucky landslots, you can get lucky just about anywhere. Dearly beloved, we are gathered here today to... Has anyone seen the bride and groom? Sorry, sorry, we're here. We were getting lucky in the limo and we lost track of time. No, Lucky Land Casino, with cash prizes that add up quicker than a guest registry. In that case, I pronounce you lucky. Play for free at LuckyLandSlots.com. Daily bonuses are waiting. No purchase necessary. Void were prohibited by law. 18 plus. Terms and conditions apply. See website for details. With Lucky Land Slots, you can get lucky just about anywhere. This is your captain speaking. Uh, we've got clear runway and the weather's fine, but we're just going to circle up here a while and uh, get lucky. No, no, nothing like that. It's just these cash prizes add up quick. So I suggest you sit back, keep your tray table upright, and start getting lucky. Play for free at LuckyLandSlots.com. Are you feeling lucky? No purchase necessary. Void where prohibited by law. 18 plus terms and conditions apply. See website for details. Judy was boring. Hello. Then Judy discovered Jumbacasino.com. It's my little escape. Now Judy's the life of the party. Oh, baby, mama's bringing home the bacon. Whoa, take it easy, Judy. The Chumba life is for everybody. So go to ChumbaCasino.com and play over 100 casino-style games. Join today and play for free for your chance to redeem some serious prizes. ChumbaCasino.com. No purchase necessary. Voidware prohibited by law. 18 plus terms and conditions apply. See website for details. Lucky Land Casino. Asking people, what's the weirdest place you've gotten lucky? Lucky? In line at the deli, I guess? Aha, in my dentist's office. More than once, actually. Do I have to say? Yes, you do. In the car before my kid's PTA meeting. Really? Yes. Excuse me, what's the weirdest place you've gotten lucky? I never win and tell. Well, there you have it. You can get lucky anywhere, playing at LuckyLandSlots.com. Play for free right now. Are you feeling lucky? No purchase necessary. Void where prohibited by law. 18 plus. Terms and conditions apply. See website for details. Back to the Red Seat Podcast. This is your host Jake Devereaux, and today I am joined for episode seventy-nine by Brian Joiner. Brian, what's going on, man? How you doing, Jake? I am doing well. Um, pumped up about the Red Sox game from last night. I don't know if you got the chance to watch that, Brian, but uh, this has been an interesting series with the Red Sox playing the Houston Astros. Yeah, I did. I I made it until the right before the ninth inning started. I was just like, I trust Kimbrell, and I ha- I just have to go to sleep. And at that um, point, only bad things can happen, right? I just <laughs> – I felt – you know, but I felt like he had it. I mean, I, I, I have a weird thing with Kimbrell where uh, he, he does – his blown saves don't, like, seem to compound. They seem to be pretty spaced out, and – I feel like we're in the middle of another like little streak where he's fine. Yeah, I agree. Plus, he was facing the bottom of the order when he came up too. Yeah, so that it wasn't was like... the main thing. Honestly, that yeah. was the main thing. Um, it is funny though watching people react to Kimbrel because everybody is trying to cheat for that fastball, and so everybody's just way out in front of anything. And anytime he throws that knuckle curve, it's just like no one knows what to do. Yeah, but you know who else did that last night? Heath Hembry to yeah. Springer. That that was crazy. It looked like Springer was going to jump over every fastball. And he threw that, like, it wasn't even a Frisbee slider. It sort of looked like it, but it was sort of just, like, outside. And he just did not expect that. It was wild. 
Yeah, Hembry's got some velo to him. He was cranking 97 last night. He looked good. He's a two pit, you know. He's a two pitch pitcher with with gas. But yeah. you know, like you could see when the guys missed it, they they feel like they should be just blasting him. Um, and that's you know, and I think they're probably right about that. He's a good relief. I think he's good. He's good enough. He's not great, but he's definitely useful. Um, and last night showed exactly why. Yeah, he's certainly a serviceable major leaguer, and I feel like, if I remember correctly, when he was in last night, he came in to face the bottom half of the order as well. So he wasn't in against those top top guys for most of the time. Well, no, but he, uh, well, he walked someone. He did come in to face seven, eight, nine, but then he walked someone. And ended up against Springer. Yes, but he didn't, like, really walk him. The, the umpiring last night was bad. I mean, not as bad as the game, like, a week ago where everyone was just like, huh? But anyhow, he should have had a strikeout. And then he had to face Springer because of it, but he got out of it. Yeah, he wasn't giving anybody the top of the strike zone, it seemed like, last night. Yeah. Yeah, it was, he, it was rough. Yeah, the first pitch, Springer thought he should have hit, like, 600 feet. Um, anyhow. So let's make some observations about this series because I think we all really anticipated this as sort of a test for the Red Sox. They were going to be on the road against a really good Houston Astros club, World Series champs. Um, I had a few observations from watching the series so far over three games, and they're going to play the deciding game uh, today to see if the Red Sox can sort of pull even here and split the series. Um, that's going to be Charlie Morton versus Rick Porcello. Uh, for Sunday Night Baseball, so that's going to be a good game. But a couple things I noticed about the Astros, and I'll get to the negatives first. The bottom of the lineup for the Astros is not all that scary. That's the first thing I noticed, because after you have Springer, Bregman, Altuve, Correa, and I know they have a couple injuries right now with Reddick and McCann, but like after those guys, it is not that scary. Well, a couple things. One, Reddick and McCann are pretty good. Um, I think that Especially if Reddick's sort of not so great second half of the season he's played so far was injury related that he'll be fine going forward. And then there's the Kyle Tucker question. Could he come up and provide them with uh, power? What I think I'm getting at is that they might – I agree they might not be great right now, but I am not sure that they're locked into having a bad bottom of the order. <laughs> Neither is Sam. Sam agrees. Uh, yeah, I agree with you and Sam. I, I think there's a little uh, little little room for for improvement. Certainly, Reddick's bat's gonna help. I'm not so sure. I expect McCann's bat to be great just because he's getting older. But McCann, he's one of those guys that every year you expect him to kind of start to stink, and he never does. So. Well, the one thing is he's not gonna hit better than Max Stassi or Stassi. Like that dude. That dude, that dude rakes. He rakes against lefties, though. He's not so good That's against true. righties. That's true. So, I mean, yeah. Which is you a can. problem for the Red Sox, though, because they throw four lefties in their rotation. For now. For now. Yeah, exactly. Well, we'll get to that. But So, as of right now, I mean, that top four, though, we need to talk about those guys. Springer, Bregman, Altuve, Correa. Is there a scarier top four in baseball? Like, that's as good as anything the Yankees put out there, right? Well, I mean, 
we we could be pretty good in the top four too if we tried. Betts, if, Benny, JD, and Mitch, or Betts, Benny, JD, Bogey. I think Bogey. I mean, Mitch is hitting better now, so I guess. But Xander, I would say. Um, anyhow, uh, they're pretty good. Like they have very. Um, I don't know. The, the the good teams all have sort of similar slotted players like Bregman and Benintendi. Like they, I don't know if they were in the same draft. I think they might have been, but uh, sort of the same guy who's number. I mean, Benny's numbers look really good now, and Bregman's are getting better, especially after last night. But um, I'd say they're comparable players, though. Yeah, 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 and uh, they're the same age, you know, the same. Uh, so we, yeah, we could be as good, but that's with two of the maybe five best hitters in baseball, which means we're still coming from behind, even with that, even with that advantage. So let's go through that a little bit. Let's uh, let's let's match them up and see who, Once we who go you through prefer. It, maybe. Okay. Um, bets versus Springer. I mean bets, but it's not it's not as big. Uh, I, if people in Houston were like, I'm fine with George Springer, I'm not going to be like, you have to choose Mickey Betts. He's so much better. I'm like, no, that's fine. I think he's enough better that most people would choose bets. Oh, I agree. I agree. Yeah. I, that's why I said people in Houston. I think yeah. they would be the only people who would be like, I understand, but just, you know, I'll, I'll stick with my guy. All right. And I'm so, like, fair. So okay. advantage there. Uh, Benny versus Bregman. Oh man! Keep in mind, Benny hit that 417 foot moonshot yesterday. Dude, dude, that was uh, you know what that reminded me of the Jackie Bradley Jr.'s two home runs that he has this year, that were in consecutive games or maybe in the same game in Anaheim, where both of them were these pitches that were left high and they just launched it that was amazing to see he's really uh he's really turning it on right now yeah he's locked in i think the funniest part of that was that he said wow as soon as he got to home plate and the pitcher said wow as soon as it left his bat so like both of them were equally surprised that he just did that yeah i mean bregman is bregman is very good i would say benny right now i agree I would take Benny. It's super close for me, though. That's that's probably the closest one. Uh, JD versus Altuve. We're just talking about bats here. I mean, I mean, we there's no you can't. I mean, I guess you'd have to say JD, but that's insane. But it's insane not to. It's also insane not to say Altuve. It's it's amazing. Um, what do you think? I think it's JD with the bat. I mean, if these guys are both healthy, and I know the year that Altuve had last year, he won the MVP. I mean, he's awesome. But if you average out their numbers over the last three seasons, JD is the better bat. He's been the better bat this year so far. So it's crazy to say that, but JD has been better than advertised. I think he's having the best season of his career so far. Hey, I mean, I picked him to be Sox MVP before the season, so... Actually, I think I might have picked him to be the MVP before the season. Um, Sam wanted Mookie, so he's not happy. Uh, 
But yeah, I mean, the, let me just say this thing about this exercise. I'm all about this. And my instinct was that the Red Sox were close. But the way you framed it, I thought you were going to say, no, they're not. But clearly you disagree. Yeah, um, I, I think they're right there. If, if not, if not, if not there. Yeah, yeah. I um, so then we then we get Bogey versus Correa for the last matchup. I mean, much love to Ben Carsley, but you got to go with Correa on this, I think. Yeah, I don't think there's much much debate. As good as Bogarts has been this year, he has quieted down a little bit recently, and Correa is one of those game changing bats. Uh, I I think we all hope that Bogey somehow someday becomes Correa like. Hey, Correa's number one, Bogey's number two. And, you know, that's that's how they roll in this particular poll. So, I mean, they're great. They're just they're, – they're, they're all great. And I, I love – I mean, probably because I root for one of them, but I love this sort of stratified MLB where the good teams are all, like, insanely good. Yeah. So, so much, much so that I wonder – if we're reaching a point of um, diminishing returns in terms of being able to like draw meaningful distinctions between them. And like the top no, teams mean, are indiscernibly. They're not, I mean, I guess. Another, the keep, yes. But I guess if the Astros keep beating the Red Sox, I would change my mind on this, but I just think that, Ultimately, we're working within like 40 to 60 percent ranges. And I know that sounds like that's actually a big deal, maybe much smaller ranges between these good teams. So by the eye test, it's always going to like we break it up into the playoffs. And obviously they mean something and it's what they're playing the whole season for. But in any stretch, they're just every single game is just this back and forth uh, slog, and not slog. I, I'm incredibly entertained by it because they're just so good, and it's not just these two teams either. Yeah, these games have been really good so far. Um, the the next observation I had about these guys was that their bullpen, uh, as good as it's been so far this season, is vulnerable. The thing is, when you look at this bullpen as a unit right now. Um, the, the, the sum of the parts are sort of more impressive than the parts themselves. So you have Chris Davinsky, Carlos Rondon, uh, Colin McHugh, Ken Giles, Tony Sipp, Brad Peacock. Those are all good bullpen arms, but none of them are Kimbrel. You know, none of them are like those type of guys that when they come into a game, you're just like, all right, better turn the TV off. You know, so I think that what we saw the Red Sox do yesterday, taking advantage of a few of those guys, uh, I think it was – who was it that they got those runs off of? He hadn't given up any home runs all Will, year. Will Harris. Yeah, Harris. Yeah, it was Harris. So he gave up two two home runs the first two of the season. But, like, that was an area where I was like, I feel better about the Red Sox bullpen. And so far this year, the Red Sox bullpen, you know, by a few different metrics, has actually been the better unit. Well, certainly in the having Bobby Pointer metric. Um, he's back, baby. Uh, I think that you're definitely right, but I think that even more so than bottom of the lineup help, this is someplace where I would say that I would expect 
Houston to make a move in this area and not a small one like Rysel Iglesias level move um, that, you know, it's I want the Red Sox to do it and they have Kimbrell. So I can only imagine a team that doesn't have Kimbrell uh, would want to do it even more. Yeah, and they have the chips to get it done too. They've got, you know, Forrest Whitley, Kyle Tucker, Jordan Alvarez. Uh, they have a lot of top guys at that system that could fetch someone like a Rysel Iglesias or a Kelvin Herrera or something like that at, at the deadline without much problem. Yeah, specific. Hey, why not both of them? There's, there's such a well run. Um, organization i mean so is the red so are the red sox but they did just cut hanley it's the astros the only thing that they did was <laughs> let jd martinez walk which thank you thank you for that yeah that's pretty good i uh I, I really appreciate that on their part on the plus side though i need to talk about the astros starters they are insane 258 era on the season their number five starter right now is garrett cole like well he's not but he's not really but like if you're facing them who's the, like McCullers I guess like oh yes yeah McCullers is really their number five it, probably Cole is what number two behind Verlander yes definitely but like holy shit that I mean Morton Morton who we're, who we're seeing today he's incredible yeah I uh I really should have drafted him in that league we did this year because I thought you know you, you can get fooled by playoff performances, but I thought his playoff performance was so good that was like, just like, uh, you know, there's a lot of people changing their swings and you see immediate results because they're sort of, they're already veterans. They're not old enough that they can't change. And if they change something often, uh, sort of small and everything clicks that the same thing happened for him. I mean, he's not the first guy, not the first pitcher it's happened to, at all i can think of many um but and he throws cheese too i mean that guy's averaging 96 on his fastball he's uh he's wild so, well he's not <laughs> so um he's great and uh today you know it's just uh what ricky p brings to the table let's see let's see buddy yeah it should be a good matchup that's for sure i think i'm looking at the guys now i'd probably rank it I'd honestly, it's tough between Garrett Cole and Verlander. I'd probably go Cole, Verlander, Morton, McCullers, Keuchel. And Keuchel has a Cy Young, and I probably think he's the fifth best pitcher in that rotation right now. Verlander is better than Cole. You think so? Yes. Verlander's really good. Yeah. He's, um, he's really like... The one, the the one beef I, I mean, Scherzer's amazing, and you have been very clear that you said even before the season he was the best pitcher in baseball over Kershaw. But that's not the guy you got to worry about right now. I think it's Verlander that you got. He's he's better than ever, and he's a surefire Hall of Famer. So I mean, the same thing is true of Scherzer. That's the amazing part. Did you see Scherzer had a game-winning hit yesterday? Yes, 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 and he scored the run, I yeah. believe. It's ridiculous. There's nothing that man can't do at this point. I will I will forever be a Scherzer evangelist. So, yeah. There's one thing he can never do, Jake. What's that? Have the same color eyes. That's true. <laughs> That's very true. Uh, any other takeaways that you had from these two teams matching up? 
just that I am absolutely certain that they're going to play each other in the playoffs. It I just, agree. it just like, Oh, we're headed straight for this again. Also, I think it was Evan Drellick made this point the other day on the radio. These, these two teams are going to be competing for a lot of the same players along with the Yankees at the trade deadline. If, you know, they're both going after bullpen help, which we expect they will be. So that could be a really important part of the year. And the Red Sox are not as well positioned as the Yankees or the Astros to be an active team around the trade deadline. Yeah, uh, it's very British soccer like where it's just there are team. It, and when you're fan of one of the big teams it's great because you're always in on every player and competing and all the games with your rivals uh are supposed to be close and end up largely being close but the one thing i took away i guess besides what we've talked about is that i understand and i saw you talk when you brought up drelic i thought about this i understand people do not love the bullpen usage as specifically Kimbrel uh, with respect to uh, save situations in the ninth inning. Mm-hmm. And I, and I get that in principle, but I also get that it's a long season. And when the Red Sox keep winning as they do, and you know, they have good pitchers for those innings. I don't understand why people are upset at this point, why Joe Kelly or even Matt Barnes is pitching. I think they're good enough to have earned it. Um, that was just my takeaway because I just don't Craig, Craig Kimbrell is not infallible by any means. And as much as these feel like playoff games, they are not playoff games. And it's a long season. So I don't know if Drellick, because he says Cora is wants to be creative about Kimbrell's role, but I don't know if he's just saying theoretically and in a vacuum he would use the closer a certain way. He certainly seems to be saving him for the ninth inning, but it doesn't seem to be hurting the Red Sox. Do you think the bullpen usage is hurting the Red Sox? I don't think it's hurting them now. Like you said, during the regular season, it's not as important. I think it is important to condition your best relievers to be able to come into the game at any time. And what we've noticed with Craig Kimbrell over his career and certainly with his time with the Red Sox is that when he's asked to come into the game, whether it's a tie game situation or whether it's in the you know eighth inning or if it's a high leverage situation in the seventh inning, He doesn't typically do as well as he does with a clean ninth inning, and he seems to have made clear his preferences to pitch a clean ninth. So I I thought Drellick's tweet about that was really interesting because they're going to have to decide whether or not to pay Craig Kimbrell next year. And if Cora really does prefer a guy who he can come in to get the most important outs, not necessarily the last three outs of the game, I think that there's a good argument to be made that they're better off spending their money on an Andrew Miller or one of the other relievers out there who has a little bit more flexibility uh, for pitching other situations. And I think that Cora ideally would like to be able to say to Kimbrell, all right, we're going to throw you out to face, 
you know, the top of the order here in the eighth inning rather than have you close out the game. Yeah, and that's fine. Um, and I, I guess the Drellick was really sort of looking toward next year, but I just don't want to extrapolate that sort of thing for a, you know, game that's still in the first few days of June. You know, it's not even summer yet. I I understand that it is potentially uh, at odds with Cora's quote-unquote style or his philosophy or whatever. At the same time, I understand that having Craig Kimbrell at all is just a tremendous advantage. And even if we are not perfectly exploiting that advantage, um, it's still an advantage. And I, I sort of believe in Alex Cora and what he wants to do, but I also, that means I agree with the decisions he's been making to this point, which is not to force him to go in the game. Um, because ultimately I feel like if they wanted him to pitch before that, he would because he wouldn't have a choice. So if that comes up or has come up, that would be one thing, but I think there's just pure speculation. Now I'm not accusing Evan of pure speculation these are the you know he literally wrote the book on the red Sox, so um so i it's more i'm less he's more concerned with what's going to happen next year i'm more concerned about what's happening this year in the context of this year it does not bother me yet yeah i agree i agree it doesn't bother me yet i don't think we've we've seen it become an issue but uh i could see it becoming one potentially if they don't feel like they can use him in that fireman role. Um, but it, I think the point you make about Kelly and Barnes being so good so far this year really alleviates a lot of that concern. And what I've been saying um, for the last two weeks on this podcast now is that I want them to trade for another closer. And maybe that is sort of, I'm not thinking it through, but like why I think that, because then you have, another closer to come in in the eighth if Kimbrell is really like that. But even if he isn't, then you have him to come in the ninth. So uh, it's uh, just what I want them to do. Anyhow, let's move on. Yeah, I agree with you. I, there's no one in the Red Sox system I wouldn't trade for a top flight closer at this point. So let's, let's get it done. Um, the two home runs that were hit last night, though, Benny and Vasquez. That was Vasquez's first home run of the year, and it tied the game. That was a super impressive home run. And I don't know if you saw the at-bat that Vasquez had against Verlander. I think it was in the maybe fourth inning or something like that, where he just fouled off pitch after pitch after pitch after pitch, and Verlander finally ended up getting him. But, like, after that, I was kind of like, all right, Vasquez is going to do something this game. And then he had that home run, and it was – it was a no-doubter. That was a really good home run. Who's Who had the better hit yesterday? Well, let me tell you something. It was a, I had doubt on the home run because I, I had the TV on, but I was across the room. And I saw the ball go, and I saw the end of the swing. I was like, I didn't think JD was up, but that's obviously him <laughs> because of how far it went. And I was just like, that's clearly him. And I was like, oh, my God, Christian, uh, doing, it, doing it for the – Swihearts, though everyone is on the same team now on the Swihart Wars, so it's great. Um, 
but that was amazing. Benny's was, I mean, Vasquez is more impressive sort of in a vacuum because he just doesn't do that. Benny's, as I was saying to you before we started recording, is like more indicative of a true talent level that is very, very exciting. Yeah, Benny uh, Benny seems to be really turning a corner and getting really hot here, which is perfect while Betts is out. I think it's worth talking about that right now. Uh, Betts um, hit the DL a couple days ago. Um, the whole deal with him is he's dealing with some abdominal discomfort. He says it only hurts him when he swings a bat, which is, you know, in his case, super important. Um, I have a feeling that this is not that big of a deal in that, Cora is just really trying to get ahead of this thing so it doesn't turn into a big deal. And I want to say I absolutely love what Cora is doing with him out of the lineup right now. I like where he's putting people in the lineup. And also, I like the fact that he is now protecting J.D. Martinez. Because last week on the podcast, we talked about, you know, if you have J.D. Martinez... Uh, playing DH. He's less of a risk to get injured. And since Mookie Betts has hit DL, Martinez has been at DH two out of the three games. He played in right field one of the games and then came out in the seventh inning for Blake Swihart. And he's been playing Blake Swihart in the field, right field, three days in a row, first base one day. Um, He's realizing that he needs to protect that bat because if you lose Betts' bat and J.D. Martinez's bat from the lineup at the same time, you're going to be really screwed. So I kind of like what he's doing. I agree. If you lose Betts and Martinez's bet, you have last year's Red Sox, effectively. Yeah. Um, Betts was on the team, but you know what I mean. Um, yeah, no, you're totally right. It's great. It's that not having Hanley is its own type of flexibility. It was is costly, obviously. Um, and as right now shows... It stretches the Red Sox a little thin, but I'm not sure that they're as thinly stretched as um, – if you think Swihart is fine, and just judging – I was watching Verlander pitch to Swihart, and it looked like, you know, you're right. You, you're right, Jake. Blake looks like he belongs. Um, and it seems like they're very – they're determined mostly not to try him at catcher unless it's Stephen Wright because no one can catch the knuckleball anyway. Um, But I think that, you know, even shorthanded right now, they look pretty good as long as they have JD because he's one of like the three best hitters in baseball. Yeah. Yeah. You're totally right. They, uh, they got to keep him healthy. Got to keep him in the lineup every day. I like what they're doing. Um, As far as the rest of the lineup construction with Dustin Pedroia hitting the DL as well, I think I'm more concerned with that because, you know, he's fresh off the surgery. He's going to go to New York to sort of get that uh, taken care of and get it looked at again. We really don't know what his timeline is, but I think that I would prefer to see a lineup where Brock Holt is playing at second base, Blake Swihart is out in the outfield, JD is DH, and Eduardo Nunez is actually riding the bench most of the time. Uh, his defense at second base is so bad. And yesterday, one of the things that I really noticed wasn't necessarily a, a traditional defensive play, but when Vasquez threw over to him at second base, he was like five feet in front of the bag and had zero chance on a good throw to get the runner at second. And that type of stuff is just like, what are you doing, man? Like, figure it out. Yeah, and I, I think... The, the strangely encouraging thing that goes against 
Um, what goes against just a little bit what you were saying about J.D. Martinez is that uh, Nunez DH'd recently. And that, if they have the like sort of bandwidth to DH him and just get his bat in the lineup occasionally – and then maybe play him at second base just once in a while, just to spell everyone else. That might be the best usage for him right now. Yeah, take him out of the field completely. Yeah, I like that. The only thing that that does is it does expose JD a little bit more, but I think that's okay to do at least a couple times a week. But you, but I think you need to have JD play the field some, like, yeah. because you need his body in there. You don't want him to be like totally rusty. What are your thoughts on Cora making the decision to go with the three-man bench for now, an eight-man bullpen? So he called up Sam Travis and Bobby Pointer when two bats went down. So they're working with an extra bullpen arm right now. Do you think that was more of a reaction to what he's seen recently from Drew Pomerantz and the fact that he's been taxing the bullpen a little more than maybe he wants to at this point? I mean, I think that's almost certainly part of it, but I think that also uh, you know – the importance of roster construction and their back end players can do a lot of things. So that's sort of a Patriots model of having fewer guys who can do more things. And that allows you to, is allowing him to build up the pitching staff uh, because yeah, they need the, I mean, certainly they need the innings and it doesn't look like Pomerantz is, certainly like the safest person in the rotation. Yeah, it seems like that decision um, to call up Bobby Pointer came down to, do you want Bobby Pointer or do you want Su Wei Lin? Because Su Wei Lin is also on the 40-man roster. He would have given them a more traditional bench construction, but with the ability for Blake Swihart, Eduardo Nunez uh, to play multiple positions, Brock Holt as well, I don't think that Su Wei Lin really would have made any meaningful impact on the roster. So I think it was a smart move. And if you look over at the Astros, the Astros are doing the same thing right now. They've got a three-man bench with an eight-man bullpen. Um, so I wonder if this is something that he learned from A.J. Hinch. Uh, yeah. I mean, it's it certainly works for both teams. So we'll see. You know Pointer never stays up for long. It's true. Much to our chagrin. He does have an ERA under two. Yeah, I know. Yeah. It's weird. Like I was I was looking up old drafts the other day and I was just like looking for names, seeing how often like names came up, you know, in terms of drafting. And I was looking at the first few rounds and I was like, you know what? I don't remember what year it was, like 2015, 2016. Let me just look at round 14. Is there anybody on Click on round 14. The first – not the first name on the screen, but my eyes go straight to it. Bobby Pointer. But <laughs> yeah, baby, you can do it. There you go. Um, what have you thought about Blake Swihart's playing time though? So since since this whole thing went down, he's gotten starts in right field, gotten starts at first base, and they say they're going to start him at catcher. Uh, whenever Steven writes in the game, I mean, that could be kind of interesting. Yeah. Do, do you like how they're using him, I guess? Yes. I think, look, this is what I'm saying. Like, the entire Blake Swihart drama was caused by having one too many players, and they don't anymore. So, um, this is 
a perfect spot to figure out where he they think he fits in the organization i always believe them in that i think they're do they want to get him some at bats because they believe in the hitting talent uh i think this is like this is a really it's cool to see it run like this when you can uh afford to run it like this and frankly i don't think the addition of pedroia would change much outside of as we mentioned having nunez uh certainly play less in the field yeah um let's get to drew pomerantz a little bit so he's been the one sort of rough patch i think you know chris sales had a little bit of a rough patch actually so let's talk about him after we talk about pomerantz but pomerantz is due to start on wednesday against the tigers at fenway do you think he ends up getting that start or do you think that the team is going to try and i don't know make a move maybe put him on a 10-day dl stint bring up someone like a Jalen Beeks like do you think they're going to try something else because really he's just been he's been pretty miserable for the last month or so uh yeah I think they do because it's the Tigers and if you're going to get a last stand probably more fair than the Tigers at home than the uh Astros in Houston yeah it certainly seemed like the first game of this set against Houston was sort of just like a well, we're probably not going to win this one, guys, based on the lineup construction and uh, who they threw out there on the mound. Um, yeah, and, <laughs> but I think that I think he'll get the chance to face the Tigers. If he gets blown up against the Tigers, is he out of there? Probably. Yeah, probably should be, uh, especially with the way that Beeks is pitching. I'd sort of like to see him leapfrog everybody and get the start, but uh, I. Th- have a sneaking suspicion it will go to Stephen Wright in that regard. And maybe that's why they brought up Bobby Pointer in the bullpen. Maybe they're anticipating making a move like that. Yeah, maybe. Uh, you know, once the summer hits, Beeks will get a shot. It, you know, it'll happen. Well, I'm supposed to go to that game on Wednesday, so we will see uh, what hap- what ends up what ends up happening with that situation. But regardless, the Red Sox are about to – get into a nice favorable stretch of their schedule right now. They're going to be facing Detroit for three at home uh, after today's final game against uh, Houston. Monday is going to be the getaway day. Um, And then uh, they have the Chicago White Sox for three at home after that, followed by three at Baltimore, and then a road trip up to Seattle for four, followed by Minnesota. So it's actually a pretty good stretch here uh, where they're going to be facing some pretty crappy teams. So the Red Sox have a chance to sort of pad pad their uh, their standings a little bit. Good. Do it. Yeah. We need it. That's for sure. Because um, those Yankees are just not going away. Never. So yesterday on Twitter, I tweeted out that I was trying to figure out who the heck Juan Soto uh, for the Nationals looked like, who his swing looked like. And uh, I think I got the best comparison uh, from Twitter handle Pedro All-Star 99. And he compared him to a left-handed version of Jeff Bagwell. So what I did was I pulled up Bagwell and I started watching clips of Bagwell. And I think he nailed it. Yeah, I saw that too. And I was like, that is really good. Um, I said Brian Giles, which is, you know, almost, which is sort of that. But the Bagwell thing is great. Yeah, yeah, it's uh, he just he looks mean in the box. If you haven't checked him out, I mean, you know, this is a Sox podcast, but uh, 
Go check out what Juan Soto is doing right now. It's pretty impressive. Daryl Strawberry is a really good one too, by the way. Yeah, that was a good one. Strawberries. Um, yeah. Um, so we did get a question from Pedro All-Star 99, and he says, uh, are we worried about Pedro's knee uh, as a career changer, not ender, and that our only infield prospect is on suspension? He's referring to Michael Chavis there. Uh, essentially what he's saying is, you know, should we be worried that Pedroia is never going to be Pedroia again and that there really isn't a, you know, super uh, viable replacement for him? Yeah. I mean, what are we going to do? <laughs> <laughs> right. Like if, if, I mean, now my, they're probably already doing it, but now is definitely a point where like, okay, now you got to figure out, like really got to figure out the succession plan for Pedroia. But I'll worry about it if they haven't done anything and like, uh, you know, by the end of, by the beginning of next year. But right now, what are you going to do? I'm just not worried about this yet. Not even a little bit. Um, I know people are freaking out because Pedroia was supposed to be back healthy from the surgery, but like I've had multiple surgeries and I can tell you, and I am not a professional athlete, obviously, but there are always setbacks after surgery. There are just always things that bother you or new inflammation or whatever. And just like the development of prospects is not, you know, linear, linear path to success, coming back from a surgery is not linear. You have ups and downs and all this stuff. So I am not ready to say this surgery wasn't a success and Pedroia is not going to be back. I think that he is just dealing with some soreness and, you know, it's totally normal and that he will probably be back. So I don't exactly think that this is going to be a career changer. Uh, I'm still optimistic that this was the right move for Pedroia to make when he did make it. I, I mean, I, I don't have any reason to disagree and certainly have no reason to uh, hope you're wrong. I do think that at this point you would probably acknowledge that they need – the Sox need to consider what life might look like without him. Yeah, I think that would be prudent. Yeah. I think they probably already have, but now they really need to. And Brett um, Netzer is probably not the answer. No. No. Uh, next question comes from Don McDonald, and he says, has JBJ turned a corner? Is there something concrete he seems to be doing differently, or is this another mirage? Brian, what say you? Well, they're not mirages because they happen. Like – they actually, you know, he has breakouts. And for whatever reason, I mean, obviously they're not throwing him the same fastball under the hands he can't hit anymore. So he must have gotten up on that. It could be the start of one of his, uh, one of his tears. And he certainly needs it. We could certainly use it. Uh, competence would be fine too. Yeah. Um, I don't know if I'm ready to say that yet, especially because if you look at what he's done so far, two games in June, he's batting 143. Uh, he has been better uh, as of late, and I think it was Jen McCaffrey that tweeted like there was some stretch of, I don't know, 14 at-bats or something like that where he was batting 300. Uh, certainly the at-bats look better, and he seems to be catching up to fastballs um, with more frequency, but... Uh, I don't have a lot of confidence in that bat. Yeah. Yeah. Uh, I want to end it on this, Brian. Chris Sale, last couple starts, four earned runs and six earned runs. Is there any reason to be concerned about Chris Sale? 
the only thing you need to do is everyone needs to adjust their expectations to get 90% of what you think Chris Sale is from here on out, and that's still plenty. But I think that we might be at that point. Um, he's just getting older. He's still great, but it happens to everyone. And then if he goes 100% Chris Sale or 110%, then you're like, yay, I win. But there are going to be some bad starts right now. I mean, they're bad starts, and it's just going to happen. I mean, maybe they won't happen against the teams they're playing coming up, but obviously it'll matter in the playoffs. Yeah, Can't I mean, do anything about it. This guy's still crazy, filthy good right now. Yeah. So yeah. It's just steal at, steal Houston's computers and see what they figure out to make all the pitchers get better. <laughs> Someone had a good tweet about that. I think it was uh, was it me. you? It was you. It was me. Yeah, that was really good about the internet access. Huh. Yeah, yeah, I like that a lot. I mean, the way Verlander talked about Detroit, it makes you wonder. Well, Detroit legitimately might not have internet access. Yeah, I know. That's, we don't want to get into this. Um, <laughs> All right. Well, that has been our show today. Uh, if you like the show, go on, rate and review us, subscribe to us on iTunes, Stitcher, anywhere you get your podcasts. You can follow both of us on Twitter. You can follow Brian at Brian Joyner, Brian with a Y, Joyner with an I. And you can follow me on Twitter at DevJake. And please go on and follow the Over the Monster account for all of your latest Red Sox news. Brian and I and Matt Collins and the whole crew will be writing and putting things up there. Uh, and uh, just generally some pretty good tweets about the Sox. So check all that stuff out. And uh, we will be with you next week for another edition. Bye, guys. <laughs>